directly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. radiocom for initiative. Hey everybody and welcome back to the Roll for Initiative podcast, the official first show of the 2011. That's a full show, issue number 41. DM Vince here along with DM Jason. Jason, how you doing now in 2011? Hello, happy new year. That's right. <laughs> happy new year. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're right on time to say happy new year. <laughs> Happy New Year to all of our listeners, and thanks for uh, your patience as we try to remember how to find our way back here in 2011. Sorry about the little bit of uh, time we were away, but yeah, and, we're glad to be yeah. back. And we didn't pod fade. We were just had some <laughs> scheduling difficulties, and Jason was on trips, and well, not personal trips, business trips. So Yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm back, you're back, and uh, next week Nick will be back. Yeah, Nick will be joining us next week. But uh, this week we have a great show for you. So uh, let's get right into things. Jason, what did you do over the winter break? Did anything good? Well, let's see. We chatted with Larry Elmore a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun. I'm sorry I missed that. It was a good interview, though. We just went up the other day, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just up It's just up now. So by the time this show goes out, that one everyone will have had a chance to listen to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I did a little bit of traveling, got around, and uh, I've started playing a new game uh-huh. with uh, – I'm still playing, obviously, in, in the AD&D games. But um, my uh, DM from another game has started a Rogue Trader oh. game, which is pretty fun. Yeah. Role playing in the 41st – or. 410th century or whatever. Duck Dodgers! No. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Uh, Yeah, you know, hung out with the uh, New York Red Box and uh, got some Gamma World in. And, uh, you know, it's it's been pretty fun. How about you? Uh, Pretty much I've been doing nothing except uh, sodcasting and doing the actual play podcast, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yes. So that's pretty much all I did. We got some great things for, you know, Christmas and uh, I got uh, the I got the Kobo actually the book reader from Borders. Oh, cool! How is it? It's awesome, dude. I, I love it. I, I've been reading like books nonstop on it. <laughs> is it, is it big enough to put um like gaming books on that you can read them? You can put them on it and read it, but it's kind of awkward to look at PDFs because you have to scroll up and down on the screen. Okay, but at least you can take them with you. Oh yeah, but I have my iPad for that, so I don't need. <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, like I said, oh, I'm her. But anyway, <laughs> uh, actual play podcast. Jason, what's going on with Barons of uh, Hogsend? So we haven't done any more uh, Hogsend ones, and I've gotten a couple of emails from the other players saying, so what's going on? Uh, I think what I might want to do is see if we can get somebody else, get one of the players to take over DMing, and I can switch to a player. Because, uh, you know, I, the, the honest truth is I have taken on way too many things in my life. Um, and I want to be doing this pod. I want to be doing this campaign, but I've realized that trying to DM two different campaigns and do the podcast and all the other things you know that I that, that there are to do in life, I, I apparently I'm only one person. Yeah, you. That's true. You're only one person. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I'd really like to get that going again because it's been sitting there dormant for weeks and weeks now. But uh, but but how's your actual play doing? 
Uh, we're we're growing. We're going strong. We only had uh, a short little mishap during the holidays that we couldn't get a bunch of people together for two weeks, and then one night we finally got together and Skype completely blasted out on us with this new upgrade that they had. Right, upgrade. Yeah, yeah, upgrade into downgrade. It kept crashing on us, and and then I think it was um they sent out a letter and they gave people refunds because it crashed for like two days at one point, mm-hmm. and they gave people like a refund who paid so. Ooh, I got a whole dollar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've actually I've been thinking about trying something out. I just got these uh, things called the Cisco Yumi. Mm. I got them for work. I don't yeah. know if you've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, you put this on your flat screen television, and it's like you have a window that is just looking into the other person's house. Yeah. 1080p, high definition, one button uh, telepresence. It's just amazing. So I'm thinking it might be kind of fun to try to use that for gaming. Well, you, yeah, you definitely. Or you can use it for that VU thing that you were doing a while back. Well, that's got to be uh, done on the computer. So yeah, I definitely have a couple of answers to, to put up there. Um, but the yeah, this is just for video chat. I mean, everybody. if everybody has their own unit, then you'll just basically be getting this crazy telepresence that feels like you're all in the same room. But even if they don't all have it, people can use the Google uh, video chat and connect in that way. So I'm kind of hoping that I'll get a chance to try that out. Uh, But in the meantime, you know, Skype's cool. Yeah, yeah, let me know how that goes. I'd like to hear about that. Uh, I've heard a lot about that, so. Yeah, I hear that there's actually going to – there is a uh, Skype HD now as well. Yes. So have you tried it out? No, no. I've been listening to a bunch of uh, tech podcasts, and they were talking about it. Yeah. 1080p, whatever it's called. I I think it's 720p at this point, but it's still, that's pretty good. Yeah. So it'd be fun to try that out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Book of Sorrows is still going on right now. They're actually in the last half of the campaign, which is actually... What level is everybody up to now? uh, Just about third level now. Cool, cool. They're in the part where they're destroying the Book of Sorrows now, and then the campaign will end, but I'm going to transition into another campaign, so... Awesome. I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to keep plugging along for the RFI people out there that enjoy listening to actual play. Maybe some of them can, uh, maybe you can run a little bit of Book of Sorrows at some conventions. I wouldn't mind that, yeah. Because we've got the uh, icon coming up. Yeah, yeah. I I can't attend that, unfortunately. I know you are, but. Oh, okay. Well, at least, you know, I'll be there and uh, I could do like a big cutout picture of you or something. (laughs) That'd be a big, that'd be a big. A big cutout picture, Jason. <laughs> I don't think you'd be you, able to... you know, like one of those stand-ups they put at like they put at the movie theaters. You know. Yeah, you can just put me in the, the position of flipping everybody. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, you, people ask me a bunch of questions about the uh, book of stars. We'll answer in sage advice, but it's growing strong. People enjoy it. We got a bunch of actually. There's the original players are almost all gone from the campaign. They've been replaced by somebody else. Okay. I think we have. Two out of the original six. Yeah, that's how it goes sometimes. All new players, and they're having fun, and insanity ensued this week. Is Literally? Yes, insanity. These the players were going nuts and crazy. They were laughing hysterical as they were joking around. And So you were they literally getting insane in game terms? Yeah, they were literally getting oh, insane. Oh, awesome. I love it. <laughs> uh, so, pimping for stars. What, who do we have to thank this week? Well, let's see. We got it. We, I'm going to go back here to uh, everything we've got from January. Oh, okay. Cool. 
Uh, so let me just kind of go in order here. We've got one from M. Darling, M. D. A. L. L. I. N. G. Darling. Listening to you goofballs reminds me of what fun <laughs> AD&D was. It also leaves me scratching my head how anyone in their right mind would think it capable of turning our youth into satanic killers. Yeah. Um, rest in peace, 1980s. <laughs> not that Jason, Jason Vince and Nick couldn't be intimidating. Well, maybe they couldn't. Yeah. And that's my point. Where was I? Oh, yes. This podcast inspired me to get a reunion of our group together after over a decade and play an adventure, and it was great. Just like old times, except we had actually uh, taken some showers. Keep it up, <laughs> fellas. <laughs> God. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear we got somebody back into playing after 10 years. And showering. Yes. Uh, okay, we've got, a, got four more here. Okay. Uh, Retro Superhero says, excellent. This podcast is largely responsible for getting me back into a hobby I loved 20 years ago. Perfect for old-timers or anyone interested in old-school gaming. The hosts are well-versed in lore and have years of useful experience. Well, we have years of experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, I especially enjoy the table manners and sage advice sections. Mm. I'm not a big fan of the occasional audio drama segments, but I'm not a fan of audio dramas in general. Mm. I now have my 16-year-old son listening to the podcast, and we're, in two gr- and we're in two great first-edition AD&D groups. Awesome. So that's really cool. Um, I saw he wrote twice Retro Superhero. Oh, yeah. Good. So that way we don't have to uh, – <laughs> I guess it must not have gone through the first time. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that was nice. At least he was nice both times. Yeah. Uh, let's see. And then uh, Shownuff Studios says, I love these guys. Great podcast and the crew mesh well. Keep up the good work, guys. Yay. From Vince to Jason to Nick, these three classic gamers bring more to the table and experience than most. They have informative chapters and the actual play over podcast was something I was hoping to hear and only got more happy with the podcast when they started doing it in Creature Feature. Yeah. Kudos to you three and that silent producer you have. That's Matt. <laughs> Matt. Uh, keep up the good work, guys, and roll one for Shownuff. Corey Shownuff. And finally, we have one from <laughs> And I was like <laughs> numb letters or something. I recently found this podcast and I'm listening to every issue trying to catch up. I infrequently still play the original Granddaddy of them all, first edition AD&D. And hearing what these guys have to say is both fun and informative. I only hope there's a lot more to come. Keep up the great work. So thank you very much. <laughs> we will. Yeah. Next time, pick an easier name for Jason to say. <laughs> No, I like saying it. It's good. All right. Maybe I'll change my name to just... <laughs> I could just see that on a loudspeaker. Can <laughs> please report to the front desk? I think they already say that. Yeah. Well, probably in uh, <laughs> the tunnels there with the subway. They, they say my name on the subway all the time if that's my name. Yes. Uh, thank you, everyone, for writing in the, uh, the uh, reviews. We appreciate it. Keep those reviews coming, and we'll keep giving you uh, the shout-outs. I think that's it. We'll head into Sage Advice. Sage Advice. Okay, so Sage Advice... Oh, sorry, I can't sing. (laughs) I'm not helping you with the singing. Oh, come on. We got a couple letters this week. First one comes from John saying he's enjoying the show. He just found it. He loved the bookbinding episode we did back in uh, three or four. At least, yeah. if not earlier. He yeah. must yeah, must be really listening to the old episodes and how we Great. described it. He said he liked the pictures you put up, Jason, when you put the uh, article up and wanted to know if we will do something 
about binding or fixing old books again. Well, I don't know how much more there is to say yeah. about that subject, but I bet we could come up with some more good uh, just kind of DIY kind of maker type stuff. There's a lot of stuff that's fun to make, right? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of fun doing the bookbinding thing, just trying it out at least. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a good idea. If anybody has some suggestions on maker-type uh, topics they'd like to hear us cover, let us know. Yeah, so we can definitely bring it on the show. Uh, oh, yeah, and the Halfling Union <laughs> sent <laughs> us an email nominating RFI as an honorary member, and they sent us this nice little scroll saying... That on behalf of the uh, union, they invite us to be an honorary member, even though we're not halflings, we're still allowed to join. <laughs> I'll forward it to you, Jason, you can post it up on the site. They have no idea how tall I am. Yeah, I know. They, I, I, I could very well be, what, three foot six? Mm-hmm. Totally possible. With, fur- with furry feet, right? Oh, totally uh, possible. Shh, um, <laughs> and Tim wrote in and said... What happened to the DM screen? Which I've seen a lot on our forums too. I don't know how to answer that. Yes. One. Um well I know how to answer it. I'm uh so here's the deal. Okay. When we got set up to do the DM screen, um it was after I had been to Gen we had been to Gen Con. Mm-hmm. And uh there was a company there doing uh print on demand games. Uh right. box games and and book game books and stuff like that. And they're still doing it. But the people that they were doing DM screens with, I don't know, they didn't like the quality or there was something that I, I have no idea, but for whatever reason, they're not doing print-on-demand DM screens anymore. They flaked. So, yeah, I, I have no idea. That's what the answer they gave me, at least. Oh, okay. Um, but I, I'm, I'm still pretty convinced that there's a way to do a print-on-demand DM screen. I just haven't been able to find it yet, and I haven't yeah. been digging that deeply. I'm kind of hoping that one of our really intelligent and well-versed listeners would have an idea. The closest... Uh, wor- hmm? Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say, worst comes to worst. Uh, if we can't find any kind of print-on-demand for it, what we could always do is uh, maybe set up like a Kickstarter or something to see if we would have enough orders to cover a real print run, like a short run. I don't know if there would be or not because it's going to be you know, a pretty specialized thing, and I think if only 20 people want it, I don't think we can get them done like that. Well, but yeah. we'll, f- we'll find some kind of way. The first thing that has to happen is I have to be laid out and all of that. So it's just one of those things that, that, that ended up in the back burner, and um, it needs to get done. So if anybody uh, listening is uh, versed in these kind of printing things, uh, let us know. See if you can help us out with this. The closest I've found to a customizable DM screen is the Savage Worlds GM screen. It's just basically a blank slate, and you can mm-hmm. insert things into it, and that's the closest thing that I've found to it. That's pretty cool. I mean, I, I really want to do this like the actual original screen, like on cardboard, because that's kind of the fun of it. Yeah, oh yeah. So... I don't know. Wor- you know what? Worst case scenario, I bet there's some way to do a one-off thing with like a service bureau. I- I'll figure it out. And for right now, the answer is we don't know how to get it printed, and we're trying to figure that out. Yeah, we- I ha- I remember we sent the layout in to you, and you finalized it, but to, the, uh, to do the art and the uh, how to actually do it. <laughs> well, the front cover is done. Yeah. Um, yeah, that artwork looks awesome. Yeah. Uh, the the artist who's working who did that is currently working on the uh, the um, uh, the Equinox Demon module, which will be our first module release Sweet. sometime in the next few weeks. Back to 
when is that going to get done kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. But it's, get, it's getting done just very slowly. Uh, so the answer is we're still trying. The answer is 42. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Drake writes in and he asked about the Book of Sorrows campaign that I'm running. And he's wondering if he could buy it somewhere or download it somewhere. It's actually a homebrew campaign that I made up. So it's not on paper anywhere. It's all in my notes in my head. Sorry. Well, maybe you can write it up someday. We could. That could be another module. Yeah, I guess I could write that. That'd be a pain in the butt, though. But <laughs> yeah, I figure by the t- by the time I get around to finishing the layout on this module, maybe you'll have had a chance to write it. Because mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking like 2018, so don't worry. Oh yeah, I can probably do that by the time 2017 rolls around. Yeah. And no, I'm kidding. Todd Hughes, who actually wrote the Equinox Demon, you're listening. I hope. And I promise this is getting done. It's going slowly. It won't be 2018, I promise. Maybe 13 when the world ends, you know. Uh, <laughs> picking on me. Okay. <laughs> uh, var- uh, various people also wrote in to name over the time break, asking if we'll be at Gen Con and host yes. an official meetup again like we did last year at the uh, Omni. Uh, I don't know where we're going to do the meetup, but I have got my hotel room reserved. I was mm-hmm. able to get into one of the housing blocks for the discount. There's a brand new hotel that was just built uh, this year. I saw that, yeah. It looks good. I, I don't know. I got a room in it, so we'll see if it's good or not. The, the prices were okay. Um, definitely going to be there. I've got my badge. Uh, I think... I forget when the sign-up starts for the actual events, but I know that I put it in my calendar like several times to make an alarm go off ahead of time so I wouldn't miss it this year. Like last year when you missed it? I missed it by weeks last yeah, I know. year. <laughs> uh, you know, we're definitely going to do a meetup. Uh, it was really fun last time. Maybe we can have it even bigger this time. I, I think it'd be cool to find out whether we can make it an official meetup that ends up with an event in the Gen Con directory. I don't know if they'll let us do that or not, but we can ask. If not, we'll just you know have the same sort of thing where we meet up in like the hotel bar. Yeah, we can uh, do a meetup. Like, well, th- this time it'll be more an advanced plan, not like a week beforehand saying, "By the way, we're going to be at Gen Con. <laughs> Come meet us." Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing that was so much fun at Gen Con last year was the more official podcaster meetup. Of the, I don't know who organized it, but the thing that had guys from like Fear the Boot and uh, oh, all those yeah. others meet the hosts, yeah, yeah, that was really cool. So hopefully that'll be happening again this year. Yeah, you got well, to show me where we that got some is. advance notice. <laughs> you got to show me where that was because last year I had no clue where that was, and you were like, "Oh yeah, it's right over here," and I'm like, "What? Where? Huh?" Oh yeah, it was <laughs> in the basement of the Union Station place or whatever. That, yeah, uh, but yes, so we'll definitely be at Gen Con. Also, um, I've got my tickets for Gary Con. Oh, that's right. You're going to GaryCon 3? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I'll be at that. And I think that's going to be about it because there's only so much time off I can get in one year. And uh, I've got other things to do this year, too, like uh, riding Ragbri. If any, by the way, if there's any gamers who are also into bicycling, uh, every year the Des Moines Register holds a thing called Ragbri, the Register's annual great bike ride across Iowa. It's going to be the last week of July. And uh, it's it's actually a pretty easy ride. I mean, it sounds tough because you're riding, you know, five or six hundred miles or whatever it is in a week. But you're riding with thousands and thousands of other people, everything from like eight-year-olds to 80-year-olds. And it's really fun. And I was thinking if there's any other gamers going, maybe we could sort of meet up along the way and 
roll some dice at the end of each day of bicycling. So let, let me know if there's any bikers out there. That'd be kind of cool if you, put, you can put, like, pads on and, like, attack each other and stuff. And Oh, yeah. I mean, Rag Fry <laughs> is a huge party. People dress up and do all kinds of stuff, and people get teams together. So I'd, I'd love it if there was a Dungeons & Dragons team. It'd be kind of dorky, but yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, it'd be, yeah, it'd be totally dorky. I would love it. <laughs> all right. Uh, I think that's going to end Sage Advice. If you have any questions or comments, rfistaff at gmail.com, or you can call us, 570 Ten, I believe. <laughs> I'm saying that yeah. off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, I'll go with that. Yeah, our, that's our Skype hotline, and uh, you can call in and ask a question. And uh, next week we will announce uh, who won the DM contest to uh, for uh, December. I said. Oh, the the, uh, the challenge. The challenge. The DM contest challenge. That's right. I forgot about that. I feel like click and clack when they can't remember the puzzler from the last week. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. We'll, exactly. we'll announce that next week, and we'll uh, we'll we'll play that little piece on there if I can manage to get it off of Skype right without it screwing up. <laughs> I can't wait to see who wins. Awesome. Oh, you know already. I uh, don't. <laughs> stop lying. Uh, I don't even remember the challenge. So let's. You don't okay. remember yesterday, right? <laughs> when? Who who are you again? Right. And let's head into a new segment, Jason. Let's. Your friend Andrew is Oh, uh... that's right. So we have got a brand new segment. Uh, this is called the Prestidigitators Council. And in our first installment, we have a few of these ready to go. So for this week, we have the first installment, which is all about the uh, first level magic user spell, Friends. Cue the music. I just want to be friend. Oh, sorry. And then we'll head into uh, Table Matters right after that. From the Tome by Arlock the Wizard, Prestidigitator's Council, Volume 1, Advice for the New Magic User. I commit these stories to this tome, not for fame, but rather to advise those who are of the mind to take up the practice of magic and use it for personal gain or righteous deeds. For he who does so, or she, for the talent for the use of magic knows no affinity, must not only study many long, tedious hours not only travel widely to implore the learned for a pitiful ration, for the learned in the ways of magic are always stingy, not only master obscure languages, but also forego the training to be strong, quick, or skillful in many other spheres. When opportunity arises, he must use his spells to maximum effect and benefit. He is sure to be surrounded by companions who know only the sword, but to resort to it will bring a swift and terrible end as often as it will bring glory. So heed my words and think long on them, and a small incantation will prove decisive. Many years ago, when I was beginning my long career, I was with a party of cell swords. We were exploring goblin caves, in hope of discovering the fate of some villagers who had been abducted. Not long into the cave, I saw at a distance a goblin, and he saw me. My companions were quite blind at this point, and I had convinced these men to extinguish their torches and rely on my sight, and now I was glad for it. This goblin was no doubt a sentry, and I had a few moments to decide how to react, before he either ran for help or attacked. So I left my companions behind, and moved toward him quickly, and he could surely see at this distance I was an elf. 
I cast a charm on him as I advanced, and hoped that I could judge my success or failure by the manner of his approach. He strode toward me with ease. I reached out to him and took his hand, and said in his language, I am glad to be here with you, my friend. And he smiled and agreed it was good. He told me his name was Olsh, and I told him mine. Never did I think I would be on such terms with a goblin, but only for a time. We exchanged pleasantries, and I asked him his position. It was to guard this tunnel and prevent anyone from entering. I said to him, Verily, I am your good friend, and no one could mean for you to block my way, and you can also trust my friends. And I motioned back to the fighters behind me, who awkwardly tried to effect a jocular pose toward this creature. And he smiled again and agreed. Soon he told me of a coming sacrifice, of the eating of the villagers, a great ceremony and festival. I asked him how many of his tribe would be there. He said perhaps a dozen, and it would start very soon. I said to him, you and I have something special. Your friends do not need to know about this. They will not understand. Best to keep quiet about me. But do me this kindness. Bring some of your tribe away from the festival. Why not four of them? Bring them here. Tell them you found something valuable. And at this, I pressed a piece of silver in his hand. Tell them there is more, but only for a few. Tell them it is a secret, just like our friendship is a secret. And he nodded with understanding. Bring them here so that I can see them. What a time we shall have. A great smile broke out on his hideous face, and he showed a mouthful of rotten teeth. I could smell his wretched breath, and I smiled back. At that, he turned and ran down the tunnel, muttering to himself that he had a great friend in Arlok the Elf, a secret friend. My companions were nervous. They thought we would be exposed, and argued to advance and attack. Rashly, I thought. But I said to them, you did not understand what I said to the goblin. Trust in me. He will return and bring our quarry willingly to the slaughter. And surely enough, he soon returned with four greedy creatures in tow. The swordsmen had hidden past a bend in the passage, and the heat of their bodies was hidden. When Olsh's tribesmen saw me, they grew confused. Olsh began babbling, trying to convince them all was well. They were afraid at my sight, but the bloodlust rose in them. I stood my ground as they approached, and kept Olsh in my gaze. My companions rushed forth and engaged the other goblins, who were stunned to come upon not hidden riches, but ready blades. All the while I assured Olsh, above the din of battle, that he and I were the best of friends, that we would see this thing through, that he would gain a special place in the new tribe when this unpleasantness was over, and in fact when the last of the other goblins were cut down, and my companions struggled to contain their glee at the easy path to victory I had granted them. I pressed more silver into Olsh's trembling hand, and said, You will be the richest, the most powerful, if you will but listen to me. Lead us to the ceremony. Take us by a path no other of your tribe will see. And so he led us through tunnels, some hundreds of yards through twists and turns, 
and soon we were close, but a corner to be rounded, and we would enter the sacrificial chamber. And we could hear the drums and bestial chanting, and Olsh said to me, They will be sacrificed very soon now. I said to him, Go in there, and make sure to divert a few of them. Secretly show them the silver, and bring a few down another tunnel, away from us and the ceremony. My dear friend, do this for me. No harm will come to you, and you will see no more unpleasantness. He was trembling and confused, but relieved that he would not see any more bloodshed. And moments after he left us, the goblin chorus ebbed. As we could tell, a few voices had been removed from the chant, and that was our signal. So the goblins were cut down where they felt safest, in their most private and ecstatic moment. I tell you, it was a thing of purity and beauty, a sight only those who answer the call of adventure get to see. Soon the hostages were free, who had moments before thought themselves in their final moments of horror. We ransacked the sacrificial chamber, its store of precious gems and silver plate were surprisingly rich. Later, we divided it over stories of bravery, as the villagers showed us their appreciation, hanging on our every word, fetting us as heroes. And what of Olsh? As we were leaving the way we came, I saw him trying to catch up behind us, calling out to me, jilted and caterwauling. So I turned back and met him. Tears were streaming down his face. My chief, my tribe, why, why? I put my arm around him, held the sobbing, disgusting creature close, like a grandfather to a boy with a skinned knee, and handed him a small pouch with still more silver in it. Go now, and you be the chief. It was not very nice to try to eat those people, you must admit. He agreed. I'd not make a meal of such a friend as you, as I touched my fingertip to his sunken chest. Nor you me, and he nodded his assent through the tears. You are my elf friend Arlok. Tell those who remain of your tribe. No more of this. Just be good friends to each other, like we have been. Now, my reader, gain understanding, and do not allow a warrior to charge into an unfavorable battle. Endeavor always to tilt the odds. Remove some chess pieces from your enemy's board. You have powers at your disposal that can turn the tide of one battle, but others that can win the whole war. Know the difference, and when one is useful, and when the other. Okay, so there we go. That's our first first uh, ever installment of the Prestidigitator's Council. I uh, hope everybody liked that. Let us know what you think. And let's move over into Table Manners. Typical of all the evil creatures in the world, we like to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I've spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. So this week in Table Manners, we're going to be talking about character aging. Um, one of the famous sections of the DM guide that mm. was ignored by all of us at age 13. Let's go back and take a look. Uh, Vince, what's the last time you looked at page... Uh, 
12 of the Dungeon Master's Guide about character aging. Well, Jason, that would happen to be never, because I never use character aging in my campaigns. Yeah, I've never hit this either, but um, I've definitely had characters survive long enough to reach that that fabled deity status, right? When they Mm. end up with you know, an entire nation and they become demigods and all those other things. So you have to assume somewhere along the line they must have aged a bit, right? Well, yeah, because you uh, can't have a level 47 character and he's, like, still 18. I mean, come on. Exactly. So um, and it, it gets pretty interesting. So we get the age categories as you go into whether it's dwarfs or elves or gnomes, etc. And for the humans, you know, it's exactly what you'd expect. Your young adult is up to age 20, mature is up to age 40, middle-aged up to age 60. Um, and in this, they, they can live up to 120 years uh, being venerable. And you can imagine how it would move in game time that you know 40 years could pass. But if you are talking about, let's say, a gray elf, 40 years passing doesn't even move them, doesn't even move them a tick between being any of the different categories because the gray elf, for example, is not mature until he is 251 years old. He's not middle-aged until he's 651 years old, and he's not considered old until he's a thousand. So um, it, 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 it's very different as mm. far as whether, whether the character would, would um, change very much in there. But where <clears> it matters <throat> is these different age categories, young adult, mature, middle-aged, it affects the main attributes. Uh-huh. So for a young adult, you're going to subtract one point of wisdom and add one point of constitution. When you're rolling up a character, I mean, that's a pretty good way to say, look, I've got a, you know, a 16-year-old human, or I've got a, you know, a, a 240-year-old elf, gray elf. So they're just young. Um, and, and it makes some sense there. And it goes all the way up to things like for the, the – uh, uh, where is it? No, you never get to add to, but it, it, once the character becomes old, you can do things like subtracting two points of strength and two points of dexterity. Um, so, so as they're doing this, it, it, it makes some sense during the initial roll-up, but it also kind of adds a little bit of uh, veracity to when you're encountering an NPC and you describe them as someone very old. They probably shouldn't have you know, 18 double zero strength anymore <laughs> if they're in their venerable stage. Yeah, definitely you shouldn't have that. And that's with starting characters. And I think more along the lines where what I was thinking about when I was writing this is how to keep track of it along the way, mm-hmm. the character aging. Now, have you ever used aging in your campaigns at all? No, I've never used it actually changing like that. Yeah. I'll, although, like I said, I do keep more or less track of the years. And you don't have to be too exact about it as long as you know that you know this campaign, to get up to 40th level, they would have taken, let's say... 30 years to get there. So you probably should stop and say, well, are any of these, um, like, especially if you've got like half orcs or something who don't live very long compared to the rest, are any of them going through the aging process? Um, yeah, I used to do it in my campaigns way back when we started being sticklers. When mm-hmm. I was in my early 20s, we started doing every every level you would age two years, we decided, up until level five, and then it was one year after that. That's kind of a cool way to do it, because yeah. you're 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 playing in the game as if it's going like level level level, and it's just like cutting through them really quickly. But 
it's kind of like when you watch, um, I don't know, you're watching the A-Team, and it's like every single week there's another adventure for Face and Murdoch and the gang. Mm-hmm. You know they would just drop over from exhaustion if they never had any time between their adventures, right? Right, of course, yeah. So it, it, that actually makes a lot of sense. I, I don't know if I would have them go quite that many years, but I like it. Well, uh, yeah, but that's, the other, the, that's a way no, to go do ahead, it. Sorry. That's a way to do it, but how else would you suggest doing it then? Well, I mean, I think that's actually a really good way to do it because it, unless you want to actually sit down and figure things like, well, they spent seven months doing this and he built a keep and building a keep took four years or whatever it is. Um, but the other thing that does come up, and this is probably a little bit more uh, to the point even for players who don't want to be sticklers and keep track of that stuff, there are things that you can do in-game that cause your character to age. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially magical things. So, um, And there, here's just a few of them, and I'm just going straight out of the DM's guide here, but casting a limited wish spell ages your character by one year. Right. Um, casting a wish spell ages you by three years. Um, if you're put under a haste spell, every time you get put under a haste spell, you age by a year. Hmm. So you can imagine that could add up pretty quickly. Um, and, and then, of course, there's the whole issue of planar travel, and if a character goes to, say, the astral plane and back, how that could change the amount that they age. So it really could have, it could have an impact. Okay. I I don't think we've ever used the unnatural aging either, because I remember when I played with the great Joe DM, he didn't use that at all either, and I remember seeing that in the book and asking him, he's like, nah, I don't bother. Well, I, I have to confess that I have used the unnatural aging and not made the appropriate um, adjustments afterwards, and I think I think I should have, because it looks like it kind of adds a little bit more fun to it, because now it's actually a big deal. You know, one of the things I always say about the game is that I like things to be a little bit more um, human-sized mm-hmm, so that mm-hmm. not every action should have these big superhero moments. You shouldn't be able <laughs> to just blithely cast wish spells left and right or gate spells or whatever. So by putting the aging in, that puts a little bit of a damper on the uh, superhero aspect of it. Now when you cast these spells, oh my gosh, that actually takes a lot out of you it actually can drain you by a number of years yeah i, I like that because it kind of shows how, how magic affects the the body and everything that's just like haha spell haha spell it's like you right. can cast, yeah so, i think it was a it was a cartoons that expressed that a lot with the magic that people would cast magic in. i think it was the record of lotus war was definitely expressed that when the magic user or the clerics class magical spells they were like oh, afterwards all out of breath and you know tired mm-hmm. and I think that was a good a good way of expressing how magic affects the physical body. I like it. And, you know, it, it also makes it a little bit more sense when you have things like a lich or a demi-lich, you know, because they're all about these these evil magic users who have preserved their, mm. uh, their, their, their life way beyond the number of years that they should have ever survived. Well, I, I think part of that is they were doing so much magic, it's aging them as well. It kind of makes more sense now when you start thinking about the the magic as it courses through you, draining your life away a little bit. Hmm. Never thought about that. Yeah, good idea. The, the one thing I would do with it, though, in the DM's guide, it just says three years for this spell, one year for that spell, etc. Yeah, yeah. But if you, taking the example of something like a gray elf that lives to be 2,000 years old, I think it would be a lot more fair 
if they aged proportionately for the spells as well. Oh, okay. So uh, tailor it to the actual race itself. That's what you're saying. Yeah. So let, let's take the aquatic elf because it's it's the aquatic elf lives um, almost exactly ten times as long as a human being. Okay. So for that one, it'd be pretty easy if you have a. Uh, Human ages three years when they cast a resurrection spell. So if an aquatic elf casts the same spell, they would age 30 years instead. So just take the multiplier they have for the race, compare it to the human, and then use it for the spell. That's what I would do. That's not a bad idea. I mean, I don't think it was addressed in any future... Mm. Actually, I was going to say it wasn't addressed in future books because they didn't want to get into the complications, but they did. They really got into a lot of complications, so yeah. maybe it was addressed and I don't know about it. I believe it was actually addressed in 2nd uh, edition a little bit more. I have to look through the books that okay. I have on the shelf. Well, all I know is that I, I, I sat in on a couple of Pathfinder sessions um, over the the past few weeks and um i was shocked by just how insanely complex some of the rules had gotten so i wouldn't be surprised if if that hadn't been you know, oh. taken to that point yeah it must have been like a slap in the face to you because you're not used to those those three addition uh, those d20 rolls so I, I i don't i don't have any idea i wasn't actually playing when i say sat in i mean actually i was just watching I, I wasn't going to try to figure out the rules. <laughs> so. Yeah, the Pathfinder is a 3.5e uh, rules that have been modified even further, and 3.5 was. I mean, I have a lot of respect for the people that play it because, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I totally dig the geeking out part and, you know, just getting hardcore into that. It's just, I don't know it, and I wasn't going to try to get there. Um, but let me just ask you about the one other thing. So, um, mm -hmm. what about how that would affect things like. Uh, the character's health as they go on. Do you see any use in uh, having them have a chance to maybe become ill as they get older? I never put much thought into it, but now that you said that, that is a good idea if you want to do that. Yeah, there might be a chance that the player might develop some type of disease, or he might get some type of uh, virus or something. Yeah. Maybe he, uh, I, I think it's all good things for making sure, just like there's met methods of making sure you don't collect all the gold in the world and every magical item in the world. Also that your character doesn't just live forever without some consequences. Yeah, I mean, because people can start going blind and, you know, lose their hair or lose maybe maybe an arm or something because of natural causes or whatever. I think it's a lot more interesting because if you have a character that's, you know, old blind Ruberath or whatever, you know, and his <laughs> and he's sitting there in his mountain and he's you know, aged sort of bent over and all that. That's a lot more interesting to me than just, you know, oh, there's the uh, magic user who happens to be 110 years old. But he looks great. He looks like he's 22. Yeah, because <laughs> we never figured anything else about it out. Yeah, so, so uh, yeah, I, I think those are good things to kind of keep track of. You don't need to be a stickler in terms of getting it down to the minute, but keeping those things in, I believe, can kind of add a lot of dimension to the game. Yeah, best advice I can give you is think of a system before the campaign and stick to it and don't change it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's that's kind of the golden rule is whatever you do with the rules, be consistent. Yeah. And uh, I think we'll just head into a stickler spotlight tonight. Let's go over there. Yeah. And here we are. <laughs> so welcome to the stickler spotlight. Ooh, that was a long uh, walk, man. That was a long walk. I think we may have gotten a little bit lost on the way. Maybe. Uh, 
Oh, wait. That's what we're I, talking about tonight. Oh, wow. That would explain <laughs> why I can't seem to tell the difference between any of these trees around us. My God. So man. how did we end up getting lost in the woods? Uh, the DM rolled random dice and told us we got lost. Yes. So <laughs> the uh, so the DM's guide you know, began with a uh, set of rules to handle this. And they actually – I think this is one of the places where – uh, I, I do like something that happened later in the first edition rules in the Wilderness Survival Guide for this mm-hmm. in this case is that uh, there were some rules added in on things like direction sense. Uh, because, you know, just I, I think you know people who have in real life who have better or worse sense of direction, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, of course, of course. So I like having that in there. Uh, sh- why don't we review... Um, what exactly it means? Like how how does a uh, DM handle a party getting lost in the woods? Well, you can do it a couple ways. You can obviously go to open the DM guide to uh, was that page forty nine fifty? Yes, forty nine, right across from the uh, huge full plate uh, <laughs> illustration. One of the more kind of memorable pages in the DM's guide. And there's a there's a random thing here you can roll on if uh, the players... I'm going to hit my microphone with the book here. And, <laughs> and the players can to make them go in random directions, and if they can get lost, there's always a percent chance that they can get lost when they're traveling around. Mm-hmm. But I feel that this system is going to become more annoying than fun. I think it'd be more fun for a DM than a player, obviously. Mm-hmm. Well, do you have another system that you use? Uh... I kind of when it, drawing maps is not my best point, <laughs> my best suit point here. So I will make up like we just had in the Book of Sorrows. We had some players go through the uh, the Darkwood Forest, mm-hmm. and what I did was I just accumulated it to a number of days that they would be in the forest, as opposed to uh, they went this way, got lost, found the right way. So I wrote mm-hmm. it on my paper. They were going to be lost in the woods for three days. So no matter what they did, I had to make three days' worth of stuff happen to them so they would get in and out of the forest. Okay. That's the simplest way I've done it. I think this is one of those things that, like other rules such as encumbrance and food and uh, time in the dungeon, you don't need to be tracking all the time. I mean, if you've put together some sort of uh, DM's assistant on your computer that can be doing it all the time, maybe. But... But uh, for real, just regular playing, I think it's one of those rules you should pull out when it serves the story. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know, so so if if you're just if you're trying to get them from town to the dungeon or or back, there's no need to be sitting there rolling getting lost rules that completely make you miss getting to what you wanted to get to in the first place. No, I feel as like when you watch shows like, uh, remember I don't know if you remember there was a TV show called Roar. I was actually watching it on Sci-Fi the other day. It was start actually starred Heath uh, Ledger, former Heath. Ledger. Really? Yeah, it was a, a medieval type show, and basically they were traveling. And when they traveled <laughs> north to the town, they just headed north. Right. So back in those days, they didn't have like real maps or anything. They'd have like points, like mm-hmm. you you've seen the maps back in movies and you know things that are left over sure. in time. They sure. have like a picture of a mountain. Okay, they look mm-hmm. up, there's the mountain, so we keep going that way. Or there's a picture of a, a tree with one branch hanging down to the side. Oh, there's a mark point. So you got to right. have your players find those things. 
That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's if if you if you're rolling them to get lost and they get lost and your entire game session becomes just a bunch of random encounters in the woods and the players getting lost, that's kind of frustrating as the DM too. Oh yeah. But but if you have planned ahead and you want them to have the opportunity to get lost if it becomes part of the adventure you have planned, then I kind of do like rolling and letting the players have a chance to find their way out, etc. So let's just take a look at the rules for becoming lost. So as you alluded to, you've got different chances of becoming lost depending on what kind of terrain they're going through. Right. So, you know, if they're walking through some plains, the chance of becoming lost is only 10%. Yeah, 1 in 10. And that, and that makes sense. You can still get lost on the Great Plains, but it's a lot less likely because you've got the sun and, and all those kind of things. Whereas in the mountains, let's say it's a five in 10 chance. And again, that's pretty realistic because people do get lost in the mountains all the time. Yeah. So, uh, once they get lost, then there's this whole little thing where you can roll a, a D six to see how much they go off the path. And then it becomes a mapping issue because the players are going to be, mapping as they go along perhaps and then you as the dm know where they really are yeah so it's going to get pretty frustrating when the players start saying wait a minute our map's not working anymore and that's the moment at which you let them know maybe you're lost yeah expressing it through role-playing in the game is kind of hard <laughs> yeah well that's the thing i mean obviously as a dm you would never say to the players you have now rolled a six and you've become lost. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but it also goes to another point, which is the way that I like to play uh, with my players. I like to have them do their own mapping wherever they are. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll break out the game, uh, the battle map, and use it for, you know, determining what's going on in an actual melee or whatever. But I don't like to draw the map out in front of everybody and you know, have all of us looking at the same map and we're all going, yeah, 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 we're following it because, you know, we've exposed it to wherever we are. I prefer to have my map hidden behind the screen where they can't see what's really happening. And if they've done a good job of mapping where they're going, they'll find their way back. If they've done a poor job, they'll get lost and suddenly their map's going to be as useless as it really would be. And that's kind of fun, honestly. Yeah, I don't know. I have to disagree with you. I I find mapping annoying. And taking away from the game, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I mean, it depends if you're uh, if if part of the game is figuring out how to reach their destination and avoiding becoming lost. Then I definitely would want them to be taking care of their own maps. Mm. If if you really want to skip that part of it, and you know, if you've got a different objective as a DM to get them into, then you know that's kind of why i say it's similar to you know the rules for encumbrance or money or food or anything else do you want to be tracking that for the purposes of the game you're playing right now or not right you don't have to be i don't think you have to be consistent about that either there's no need for the players to turn into accountants and always <laughs> know exactly you know how many wineskins they've got and that sort of thing but there's times when resource management is part of the game and yeah. so is making sure you don't get lost and lose all your food and you're in the woods and now you're hungry, you're tired, you've been lost for four days, you can't find your way back. And that is a pretty big adventure hook right there. Mm. 
true. I, I kind of like my method of just, you know, well, it's obvious because it's my method of how many of these <laughs> are going to be lost in the forest. Uh, right. I generally, I'll roll it up. I'll roll it to a D6 or something to just to make it fair. So I'm not just saying, aha, I'm getting them lost in the forest for six days. So. Well, okay, so that's the other question then is shouldn't the players have some kind of uh, chance to avoid getting lost if they're particularly good at things. And like I said, this is where I do like some of the proficiencies, at least this proficiency. Um, if you go to the Wilderness Survival Guide, right. there's the Direction Sense proficiency. And it allows you to get a uh, modifier on exactly those kind of things and to help you get back on the path. And you know, having a uh, character who's actually, you know, obviously a ranger or somebody like mm-hmm. that who's actually got some of that Direction Sense... It, it suddenly they're valuable to the party in a whole new way. But that's provided you're playing with non-weapon proficiencies. Well, I don't really play with those, but I think it's good to maybe bring in a few of them. So now, I mean, this is one of those things where I haven't used this yet, and now that we're talking about it on the show, I want to try it out. So okay, we'll this is when, this goes. is when one E started becoming more of two E than one E. Yeah, it was like 1.5. Yeah. By the, I, that's kinda, I think that's kind of how I want to refer to the um, post-Unearthed Arcana era, is that would be AD&D 1.5. Yeah, that's, yeah we, most people do refer to it as 1.5, right. I thought I just came up with that. Now I'm all no, one. Now you're sad. <laughs> I'm sad. I thought I just came up with that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Aww. So th- th- there's a couple things in there. That's a good one. I'll delete we'll that. I'll edit that out so you can take the credit for no. it. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, this is a good one for people to let us know about. If, you, if people go to the forums and uh, let us know, do you let your players get lost? Does your DM let you get lost? And uh, how do you guys handle it? Well, there's also other factors, too, I just I wanted to point out. but. Oh, yeah? If your group has a druid in it and you're going through a forest, obviously you're going to cut down the time that it takes to go through the forest. Because a druid, in my opinion, should be able to commune with nature and figure out how things are laid out. Hmm. Is that in the rules anywhere? Uh, No, it's not in the rules anywhere. That's just one of the things that I do because it's a druid. They're in tune with nature, so I feel that they should be able to commune with nature, talk with animals, talk with trees, things like that, you know, pick up a, a branch and figure out which way this branch fell and which way is the best way people can walk. Same thing with rangers. I'm cool with that for the ranger because they have explicitly got tracking skills and they're all about being in the woods. I don't know. I, I don't think I would do it for druids in my game, though. No, really? Hmm. No, I mean, sure, if they want to do things like actually expend a spell to talk with animals or... um you know, to try and ask some specific questions, yes, but I wouldn't just give them better direction sense automatically. Well, that's where we differ. Yeah, I, I, I it's tough because you know what's a druid? It doesn't really have any historical um, comparison. It's all the the closest thing a druid is is those people who dress up and go to Stonehenge every year. <laughs> but you know, there, there's. We, nobody knows what a druid really was, right? You know, we don't actually have any historical record of who the druids were and whether they were just because they worshiped nature. Does that mean that they were good at getting out of the woods or did they worship nature because they were really lousy at it and they figured they better at least pray to get out of the woods? Ah, I think of <laughs> dru- I think of druids, druids as modern day equivalents of Wiccans. 
Well, I, Wiccans would definitely agree with you. <laughs> you know, that, I, I, mm-hmm. I'm down with that. But uh, the Wic- I've, I've actually had quite a few friends who are Wiccans. Yeah. Totally. And uh, none of them are any better at camping than me. No, well, yeah, modern day now, but... <laughs> Jeez. So. All right. <laughs> so go to the forums, dragonsfoot.org slash forums. Uh, under the first edition, we have our own little forum there. Or you can head over to D20 Radio. We have a forum over there. Or you can just go to RFIPodcast.com, uh, and we have a forum there. We have too many forums. <laughs> you could write a note and to sort of tack it in the town square. Jason will find see it. If it uh, whatever town that is. That's right. You we'll get on four five. squared, and Jason will be there with you. Mes- message in a bottle. I don't care. Wow. That'd be kind of cool. If I ever find one, I'll let you know. That'd be awesome. You're on the beach, and like all of a sudden the bottle floats up, and it says, Dear RFI Podcast. You're like, whoa! <laughs> That would be cool. Yes, it would. And, uh, well, I think by, by popular demand, we have Blackstone's Vault tonight. Yes. Been waiting for a new Blackstone's. And uh, we'll head right into that because I know people enjoy the reviews. So uh, we'll be right back after Blackstone. Blackstone's Vault. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Blackstone's Vault. I'm your host, Blackstone, and in this segment, I will be covering Module S3, Expedition to the Barry Peaks, by Gary Gygax. Now, it was originally published in uh, 1980 by TSR, and it's part of the ongoing S series I've been covering previously. Uh, recommended levels for this particular adventure are levels 8 to 12. And uh, a little bit of history behind it is um, it was a tournament module for Origins number 2, if you can believe that it came from that far back. Um, also, this adventure seems to have been a kind of an introduction to uh, one of TSR's newer ventures was the game Metamorphosis Alpha. That's a quite a bit to say right there. Metamorphosis. <laughs> kind of difficult to say. But, um, so it was kind of a, you have a mix of genres here. Science fiction and fantasy. So let's delve into this and see what it's all about. Now, as I said, the uh, location, if you're going to go with the World of Greyhawk fantasy campaign setting, is uh, in the Barrier Mountains. And that's a hex A6119 on the map. Now, the basic plot is this, that uh, in the Barrier Mountains, or the Barrier Peaks in the Grand Duchy of Geoff, is under attack by some strange and unusual creatures. And the Grand Duke of that nation has hired this band of adventurers to discover what's going on in the Barrier Peaks and see if they could stop the uh, marauding, strange, unusual monsters going through the duchy. So you have that as your basic plot right there. Now, like some of the others in the series, uh, there's really no NPCs to speak of unless you really want to make them like the, the, the Duke himself. So you can't add that, but as written... There are no major NPCs at all. 
Now, major encounters, there are plenty. I mean, this is like a, I don't know how best, probably the best way to put it is it's a menagerie of different strange and unusual creatures that are out of the monster manual and some that are quite new. Um, you have doppelgangers. Uh, there's a very interesting encounter with them, a group of them. Uh, there's an encounter with a mind flayer, which is always very interesting for your players to run into. And this particular mind flayer has some added little technical gadgets at his disposal, along with his psionic skills. You also have uh, some of the newer creatures, like you have uh, veggie pygmies, which kind of made their debut in this module. Uh, the frog hemoth uh, was another one that is in this particular module, and lots of other strange, weird creatures that were not in the original Monster Manual, or they were, um, they ran into this adventure. So it kind of makes a, I think, a very interesting adventure to where you have a lot of creatures that um, aren't uh, encountered normally in other adventures. Oh, did I mention, by the way, that the adventure happens inside a spaceship? So, that's where your mixing of genres happens, because this strange, unusual uh, occurrences that are happening in the duchy are because of a crashed spaceship that landed in the Barrier Peaks. So, that being said, you have other things like robots that you'll encounter in this, and there are quite a few of them. It makes for very interesting situations. Also, you have, um, you know, other gadgets and things, and I'll get to that in just a little bit. But some of the good stuff. Um, if you like mixing genres like sci-fi and fantasy, this is the adventure for you. I mean, it could be very, it could be a little bit of a challenge at first uh, to try to pull this off as a DM. So this is one of those games, one of those adventures where you don't, you want to try not to, um, you know, have your players keep their knowledge of things separate from their character knowledge of things. So they won't guess things right away. Try to be as ambiguous as you can about the descriptions of things. I guess that's what would be the best way of, of, of saying it. So, so they won't get tipped off right away. You know, try to make it as mysterious as possible. Have them try to play their characters as they're totally ignorant of high technology. That's probably the best way to put it. Now, some of the not-so-good things, um, for myself, I can see that it could be an issue with bringing in high-tech into your game world. I mean, you've got lasers, you got blaster rifles, you got the robots I've already mentioned, you have also some types of powered armor, that they might get. Now that could unbalance uh, a DM's campaign once you introduce all of this cool high-tech stuff. And next thing you know, you might have your band of adventurers running around with blaster rifles and Greyhawk. Can really unsettle things in the game world. But I, th I think this was intentionally designed to adventure with this in mind is... There are flowcharts that detail how 
you figure things out. And there are there is a chance that you either damage or destroy the artifact, the the high tech artifact that you encounter, or you find, I should say. And so you might destroy it, and then destroying it, you might hurt yourself too. So um, that kind of balances things out a little bit. Another thing about this adventure that um, really uh, sticks out for me is this adventure, the the spaceship that this dungeon is in, or the spaceship that the adventure happens, it is big. It's like five levels, at least. And that is a lot of area to cover. I mean, it's it's on two different uh, pamphlets. So you have a lot of inform- you have a lot of stuff that you can find. It can take a long time if you aren't uh, um, if you don't have a whole lot of uh, healing potions. If you don't have access to a whole lot of healing, I mean, some of these encounters could really be uh, detrimental to the party. But in itself, the uh, the dungeon, quote unquote, dungeon spaceship is very big. And I should stand corrected here. It's not five levels. It's six. So, yes, it's huge. And you probably won't even cover the whole thing. But, I mean, there's plenty in this module. It's it's pretty hefty. Uh, one of the other cool things about this is it has a beautiful illustration section that comes with the module. So if you ever get this module, and or you know if you're buying it off eBay or wherever you're going to buy it, Make sure that you get it with the insert of the illustrations. I mean, various illustrations are by um, Errol Otis, um, Jeff Jeff D. Uh, Rosloff, just to name a few. Added, um, you know, brought their talents into creating many of the illustrations in the center for the inserts that you can show your 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 players um, and. In fact, there's a few that are in uh, full color, which makes it uh, uh, just brings out even more to life. Uh, so, in that respect, makes it a very enjoyable, very immersive uh, adventure. One of the things I do like uh, the central insert of this is it gives illustrations of the various types of equipment that uh, your players, your the the players' characters will. Uh, uh, pick up over time. So there's an illustration of a blaster and a laser rifle and a fire extinguisher and what have you. But doesn't say what they are. They have to figure out what it is. So I think that's really a really neat addition to this particular adventure, having that uh, illustrated insert into the module. So at the end of all this, my opinion... This is a nice mix of genres of science fiction and fantasy together, if you like that sort of thing. If you don't like the mix genres in your campaign, I do recommend not to get this module. But if you want to venture onto the wild side from time to time, if this is something is, you know, it's a little weird, it's a little bizarre, then I do recommend this. And like I said, the kind of balancing things out, you have that flowchart thing going on. It's and overall, it's a very weird module, and I like weird stuff. So this is like a, a classic, and it, it does have a little bit of notoriety. Um, 
Stephen Colbert, if everybody hasn't found out already out there, uh, who does that show, The Colbert Report and Comedian, um, who's been a gamer from way back when, back when, you know, when we were all, <laughs> some of us were kids, uh, declared this is one of his favorite modules. Also, this module was mentioned in passing in the second D&D film, which, you know, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but it is mentioned in the film. So there's a little bit of, like, notoriety beyond the module itself. Um, where you can find this module, you can find it anywhere on eBay um, and some of the other game stores, maybe conventions. Just shop around for it. And, and like I said, make sure you get the thing complete. Make sure you get it with the illustrated insert. And also, it's a double cover with all of the illustrations. Make sure you get it all together. And I think it's worth the price, whatever that price may be. Um, after this, uh, the next one I'll probably cover is Lost Caverns of Zoicanth, which is the last in the S series. So that's Module S3, Expedition to the Barrier Peaks by Gary Gygax, uh, all wrapped up for you. So this is Blackstone signing off and saying, may all your hits be crits. So, uh, that was great. I'm, I'm glad to see that he's back doing those reviews. Uh, thanks, Nick. I mean, Blackstone. And uh... <laughs> another, another triumph. It was great. And, uh, you know, if anybody's got some uh, modules they particularly would like to hear Blackstone put in the vault, uh, you know, write in and let us know. So, our parting words for tonight, and this is uh, Vince's final thought, just like Jerry Springer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Tell us what you do with character aging. We honestly want to hear about that because that's anything people do in their home campaigns is very interesting to me. And I know you're really interested in that too, Jason. So, Oh, yeah, yeah. It's fun to see what other people come up with, like get inside people's minds, why they do the things. So definitely email us at the staff at gmail.com. And uh, let's see, Gen Con 2011, we talked a little bit about that. I know we were going to run some official games for Dead Game Society, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And anybody else who wants to uh, run games for Dead Game Society, the registration hasn't opened yet for setting up events at this year's Gen Con. So this is my personal plea to everybody out there. Please run as many first edition AD&D games as you can at this year's Gen Con. The more games that are on the schedule, the more fun is to be had by everybody I can't wait to see a lot of first edition players at Gen Con this year. And Wizards does watch these things, so Yes, they do. Maybe if, you know, you you know, put enough stuff into it, maybe they'll start doing stuff for first edition again. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, I think that's gonna end it for tonight. Alright. Great think? first show back and it's nice to uh be back. Definitely. Next week, we'll talk a little bit more about something good. <laughs> keep it original. Whatever keep, that may be. Yes, keep it original, keep it old school. Good night. Good night. Roll for initiative. <laughs>